There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hello, this is Chris Cooper and a big welcome to the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. It's great to be back with you again for yet another week. Uh, another incredible guest and an amazing topic today. We're going to talk about the Nowhere Office uh, with Julia Hobsbawm, um, OBE. Uh, and um, and wherever you are in the world, I hope you're having um, I hope you're having a good week. I hope you're um, you need your uh, helping the world to become a better place through your work. And I hope that you're drawing inspiration from some of the um, incredible guests I've been very fortunate to have on this show and uh, connect with. Uh, on last week's show, we had Liam Austin, and Liam um, was a very interesting fella. He he's, uh, was a professional footballer in Australia, and um, he's he's um, a bit of a digital nomad, really. He lives in, uh, I, think, I think he was in Malta, um, but also um, moves around the world. And he's created a fascinating business that puts on, helps people put on um, incredible conferences uh, and events digitally, um, often with many speakers. And he advises and supports people to do that and has made a real success of it. Um, so if you're, um, I've met a couple of people this week who said, I want to be a digital nomad. Um, and people are wanting to find out how to do um, things even better online. If that's you, um, do check out that interview. Also, before I introduce Julia, I'd like to say um, a thank you to my my get my friend, sorry, <clears throat> Judy Piatkus, who very kindly um, in introduced me to um, Julia. Some of you may remember Judy. Judy was the founder of Piatkus Books and runs the Conscious Cafe Network. Uh, and <clears throat> in my opinion, because we know each other well, it's very, very good judge of character. So um, I, that's why Julia is uh, here today. So I'd like to introduce you to Julia, and I'd like to introduce you to this topic because remote working has become uh, the norm rather than the exception for many businesses. Um, but it, how do you actually handle this? How do you negotiate this in today's world of work? Because uh, myself, I have many clients in different situations. Some have, some have gone home, some are hybrid, some are uh, require their staff to be in the office. And it's a uh, quite a complex minefield today, really um, impacted um, as well by the pandemic. It seems to have brought it to the fore. So I'm delighted to have uh, Julia Hobsbawm on the show today. She's an award-winning writer, a speaker, a consultant, a, Blue a Bloomberg commentator, and a columnist about the future of work. Um, her her book, The Nowhere Office, is, has become highly um, acclaimed. The Nowhere Office, Reinventing Work and the Workplace of the Future, um, is uh, a very successful book now in in Europe and the United States and, and different parts of the world. And I think um, Julie has really hit on this um, this subject right at the right time. Um, Julia was the founder of the US-led Workforce Institute. She was chair of the inaugural UK Demos Workshift Commission, sorry, and now co-hosts the popular podcast, The Nowhere Office. Julia is the author of six books, including the award-winning The Simplicity Principle, which won two awards for Best Business Book and Best General Self-Help Book 2020 in the USA, and Fully Connected, Social Health in an Age of Overload, which was shortlisted for Management Book of the Year in the UK. Um, Julia is an acclaimed entrepreneur. She founded the Networks and Podcast Business Editorial Intelligence, 
And uh, incredibly, um, Julia was awarded an OBE. Now, that's pretty significant here in the United Kingdom. Um, um, in the late um, Queen Elizabeth's, the second's birthday honours list in 2015 for services to business. And uh, Julia regularly consults for speakers for, so for, and speaks for corporations, uh, government and change makers around the world. So a huge welcome to Julia Hobsbawm. Oh, hello. Well, what a lovely introduction. I'm a bit exhausted hearing that. And it's reminded me, of course, I'm quite old. And really, the best way to describe me these days is Granny Julia, because one of my many children, in fact, my stepdaughter, had a baby. So it's good to sort of connect with what really matters, which is, you know, family and and uh, relationships. And, and may I say, it was a terribly generous introduction. And we do have the legendary uh, Judy Piakas in common. I don't think I've actually been introduced like that before. So thank you for the introduction, both professional and personal. You're very, very well. You're very welcome. And it's, it's, you know, your background is really, it's really interesting. Uh, and I'm, I'm always love to find out about different people and, uh, and uh, where they can come from. Could you tell us a little bit about your background and uh, maybe just share a bit of the story of um, you know, how did you become an award-winning writer and a speaker and a columnist and a consultant? Oh, have you, have well, have you decided well, at one point, you you know, in your younger days, that's where I'm heading or has it just... Well, more, more to the point, how did I become a sort of management nerd? Because really, that's yeah. my take on business. I'm very obsessed with how to make things better and what doesn't work well in the world of work. And so in a sense, the latest book I've written, The Nowhere Office, feels like a lot of things have come together for me that I've been thinking about for a very long time. And I've been working for nearly 40 years because I didn't have, a, I don't actually have a degree, even though I've had various honorary academic qualifications. I'm pretty, pretty self-made, although it's fair to say um, I was born I like to say with a silver networking spoon in my mouth. So basically, um, my family were emigres, some might say refugees, but they had money and resources. They were emigres from the Nazis. Um, and there was business in my family background. But my father, my late father, was a historian, a cosmopolitan historian, very well traveled. And so I grew up, as did my brother, with an incredibly successful um, academic father. And as a result, I think it's fair to say neither of us were remotely academically successful. We were fantastically daunted. Um, and I left school as early as I could, really, and started working. And I started observing the world of work, and I worked in a small publishing house. In, in the analog era. You know, I like to say my career spanned telex to Twitter. So I had a wonderful cosmopolitan upbringing in Hampstead, North London, um, with writers and thinkers. And it was, I learned a lot about networks, which is what I spent a good portion of my career doing. But I was not um, trained in anything. And it really, the reason why I'm sort of framing my story like this for you, Chris, is I think what is very interesting is that now we're learning that soft skills and reading the room and learning things that don't appear to be um, 
you know, career based is in fact what gives you the edge. Yeah, I agree. You know, you're nodding at me, even though your listeners can't hear. So, uh, do you want to say something and interrupt my flow? <laughs> I don't. I didn't want to interrupt your flow. I just completely agree with you. I think um, it, it's, it's interesting that word soft skills. Sometimes people use that word soft skills as though it's it's not as significant as hard skills, but actually, it's 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 it can make all the difference, can't it? It's so important when it comes to things like culture, but but the human dynamics and the organize and the kind of human organism that you have as a business is actually highly complex so it's interesting it's the people it's talked about as being soft uh, can be but i think um i think there's a huge degree of complexity in there uh, and it needs navigators who can help people well um, cer- complexity. i i certainly think that what we mean by soft skills now is having emotional literacy, being able to make eye contact, being able to connect with what you feel in order to understand what somebody else is feeling. But I also think that in my day, um, as it were, in my 20s, in my early 20s, um, I didn't feel that I had soft skills or that they were useful. And I felt and was treated like a failure. Um, so I left school with not brilliant qualifications. I started at what was a polytechnic that wasn't really a sort of sub-university in, the, in Britain, as, as you know, quite a different system to the American system. You have to choose one particular subject. I didn't like that subject. I left. I started to work. And I worked my way up. Um, I was a secretary in a publishing house. Um, and I fell in love with books and publishing and language and authors and publicity. And in those days, um, you know, it wasn't terribly complicated if you loved the interface between um, the, you know, those selling information out into the marketplace and the media. And I became, um, it, you know, a gift, really. I became Maya Angelou's book publicist. Mm. Um, and I can tell you for a white Jewish middle class girl, age 20 something to be tasked with touring in the UK such a legendary extraordinary figure wow absolutely shaped my life and if anybody's interested in that story and they just google me and Maya Angelou I wrote a piece about it in Vogue a couple of years ago um and so I I gained the skills of understanding what people need and want even though I had no power and and all my colleagues, all my school friends and people who were going to university and doing degrees and working in the white collar professions, which I'm now writing about in the nowhere office or working in the media, I won't say they looked down on me in the sense that, you know, they weren't mean or anything, but they thought they had it made. You know, people like me that were sort of grubbing around making my own luck, Chris, were seen as very much outliers of where it was at. And where it was at was go to masthead organisations and uh, work your way up. And for various reasons, if this was a psychiatrist couch, I might tell you more, but I won't. Uh, you know, for various reasons, that just wasn't me. Um, probably something to do with uh-huh. having a father, but also my personality. I'm a little bit rebellious. Um And now I realize I just had the most lucky apprenticeship in the world of work. And then 
I started working in TV. I moved from book publishing to TV. Again, a bit of luck here and there. Um, I was the first researcher in a mainstream television studio in the UK, ITV, not have a degree to be hired as a researcher. And um, the luck of that is it then got me into, into television and, and just sort of really made me see how the world worked and made me think about what I did want to do and what I didn't want to do. Um, and, yeah, I've just been very lucky. I've, I've had a sort of apprenticeship um, that nobody took much notice of. And a very pivotal moment happened once when I was the researcher for a show, a popular show called Wogan. Mm. As will remember it, it was, um, you know, a, like a Stephen Colbert show or the late show or the, you know, and um, I you know, it was a very lowly researcher. I had to meet and greet the guests. And one of the guests was a businessman, the late the Peter Parker, who had run British Railways and mm-hmm. he'd written autobiography. So he wasn't a superstar, although I had my fair share of those. He was, you know, a businessman. And he was in his, I guess, late 50s, early 60s. I was 20-something. And I read the book. And all I had to do was gut and fillet the book, make small talk, and then brief the presenter. And I found it fascinating. I can remember where I was sitting when I read this book. So I go to have whatever it is, a cup of tea with this bloke, and all I'm supposed to do is sort of get him ready for the show, Chris. And I found myself saying, tell me about time management on the railways. Tell me about, and how do you how did you do this? We had the most wonderful conversation. and. I never forgot that. And then I began to read management and the sort of sociology of work. Don't ask me where it came from. Um, but that was, yeah, luck and timing. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating hearing that story. I'm glad, really pleased you shared that because it's, it's very easy when, when you know, um, you, 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 very interesting people come on the show to, to think that um, they're not like me. You know, and uh, and I think you know there's a lot of people don't. Well, I probably I'm probably that. not like a lot of your listeners. No, in that I really failed quite substantially quite a lot of time. Well, um, I think a lot of I think a lot of people um, who listen to the show they've also had that kind of an experience, and maybe school didn't fit them, didn't fit the fit you know fit the fit the mold uh, of them, uh, and didn't help them you know to to generate that focus or find out what they were good at or what they're in the flow doing and um um and it's it, it's it's refreshing to hear those kind of stories because actually if you find like you found a passion and an interest and clearly there's a lot more to you than you maybe realized actually in your makeup and your experience in the past and and, and you've gone on to achieve some amazing things once you found what you love doing yes it, although it's quite interesting just before you go to the break i just want to be clear that i don't think if this doesn't sound peculiar i don't think success is about success i think success is about feeling that things matter to you and that you're doing them well and that mm. you're being generous and kind to others mm. and not that you're not without your flaws i mean my goodness i got loads of flaws but what i mean is i'm liking the way that at the moment i'm reading um quite a lot of ideas around 
it's not all about making money. It's not all about being visible all the time. It's not all about moving up the ladder. And maybe we can talk a bit more about this, but I think that's what I stumbled across when I started to write this particular book mm. about this moment in time in the history of work and the experience of professional workers. And what I realize is it wasn't so much that we were living through the great resignation, which we have been and we can talk about, but we have been and are living through a great reevaluation. And so I think I came to the realization accidentally because of these failures that yes I like visibility I like quote unquote success but what I really like is just knowing what interests me and like mm. you being able to do what I like to do and I think post-pandemic that's what a lot of people want now yeah so we've got two minutes so so um why did you uh, write the nowhere the office why did you write the nowhere office and why is this important okay. right now, particularly from your perspective? Okay, so I've sort of written an accidental trilogy. I wrote a book called Fully Connected about what I call social health in an age of overload. How do we have our human selves in a machine age? Then I wrote a book called The Simplicity Principle about, to your point, actually, Chris, about managing complexity. And then I was promoting that almost from this exact spot for 10 months during the pandemic, not really moving off my bum, my bottom. And then I woke up one morning and I thought, I just feel like there's another story here. And this is the story of the fact that we're just not going to go back to how we were before. This isn't, this isn't a workplace uh, interruption. It's a workplace revolution. And I began to think about that. That was the beginnings of the ideas for the Nowhere Office. Fantastic. We've got a. Um, we're going to move on now and go to commercial break. And and after the break, we'll going to obviously talk about the the nowhere office. And I think one thing I, you know, that Julia just um, articulated there. You know, she had this idea or thought about uh, this this point in history. But one of the things I love about Julia's book is actually the amount of research that she did. So it hasn't all just come out of your head, has it? It's uh, you've you know you've spoken <laughs> to a lot of people um, to to gain. A real sense of what the pulse is uh, right now when it comes to the nowhere office so do join us after the break you're going to find this really interesting i would have a pen and a piece of paper with you in case any insights that can help you and help you with um with your business and this question which is coming up all the time for us right now about um where do we work so i'll be back again with you in just a couple of minutes do join us after the break comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential chris cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the achiever program one-to-one -one mentoring and coaching facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. 
Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Julia Hobsbawm, and we're talking about the Nowhere Office. And Julia, I wonder if you could start by maybe sharing with us the 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 four distinct phases of work because you identified you know how yeah. work is evolved because I thought it was, was was helpful well yeah so the nowhere office is a book and a podcast and now a sort of research project looking at the whole story of work as it is now and it's not an argument for no office it's a comment on the moment in time I believe we're in in the story and the history of work. And I wanted to, so the book is, um, and it's on audio book and it's, you know, in book, book, et cetera. I wanted to capture voices um, of people across the spheres of work, um, mainly in the UK and the US. My next project will be more global. Um, And I thought to frame it, I wanted to look at how did we get to this moment, this pandemic moment? And I thought you could take the starting point. I mean, obviously, you could go back to the year dot. And obviously, you could go back to the beginning of the office as we know it, etc. But I thought it would be more helpful and realistic um, to start at the end of the Second World War, because that was the last moment the world really reset at at one and had visions for rebuilding and for starting over. And um, that's when I also realized that the D-Day Normandy landings was was so extraordinary. And my my husband, who's an antiquarian bookseller, has got um, a book that I, I read avidly through lockdown, which chronicles the organizational office side the back office of the normandy landings and it made me realize that really in modern terms d-day was a sort of pop-up office yeah right and i kind of thought that's very interesting so i wanted to start with that period of vaulting ambition and optimism and so i think the first phase of office modern life runs from, let's say, 1945 to something like 1977. And I call it the optimism years. You could call it the madmen years, you know, the, 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 the simplicity and sort of ruthlessness of 
corporate office life. The world wanted to grow and sell and build. And you only went, you know, one commute, one set of office hours into the elevators. Everything was highly, highly stratified. Um, it was extremely unfair uh, to women, to anybody who wasn't really white, um, etc. But it also was simple. And quite a lot happened in those growth years. And of course, there weren't really computers. I mean, there was IBM and machines at the back of the room. Um, so the second phase, um, I call the mezzanine years that began in 1977. The mezzanine both because it means intermediary, if you like, or the middle. But there's a particular novel I like called The Mezzanine, um, set on an escalator, uh, if anybody's interested, by Nicholson Baker, uh, published, I think, in 2006. And those years run um, from, from 1977, at the beginning of the true dawn of computers and technology coming into the office and the glimmers of the liberation from the office, because you used to have to come into the office just because you had to, and you used to have to come into the office for the typewriter, and the filing cabinets, and everything that did the jobs in there. And little did they know in 1977 that the computer was going to really arguably mark the beginning of the end of the need for the office as we knew it. and those. That mezzanine period runs until about 2006, because in 2007, a new phase begins. Um, I call the co-working years. And that was the arrival of the Internet, Facebook, Twitter, Airbnb. Um, and the moment when it was the era that finished with the pandemic, but it was the era that WeWork began in 2010. So... I hope that isn't too long a way of saying, Chris, that I think framing how did we get here and what is the here, you know, nowhere is not just, I hope, a catchy title. It's an anagram of here and now and now and here. And it's very much about how do we locate this moment that we're in? Because it is a crisis and it is a moment of um, rebuild back to what it was in 1945. And I feel that more strongly now on the eve of the third anniversary of the pandemic than I did when I began to write The Nowhere Office, that it's rebuild or bust, isn't it? It, it is, isn't it? And it's um, it really the pandemic, the, these these feelings that people, and you talk about it in the book, the feelings that people had about actually, I'm not sure I want to come into the office and be told what to do by you i want to have more freedom over my own life and a bit more flexibility and actually i want to i want to be able to take my kids to school or pick them up and 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 for some people well i can work at home quite well because actually i've got a nice space or for others actually i'd rather not work at home because i haven't got the, the environment but it brought a lot of questions and 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 people through the pandemic in most instances actually with, with digital technology were able to work from home uh, and some of the companies um um I, I talked to and work with actually did, did reasonably well during the pandemic. Um, some of them did very well. Some of them struggled, but um, it did seem to bring it to a head, didn't it? Yes. I mean, my real observation, having dug into the history and looked at the data um, and, you know, dug fairly forensically into it, which is, I, I hope, why Bloomberg um, 
asked me to to join them to write about the future of work for their new vertical, as they call it, called Work Shift, dedicated um, since the um, end of 2022 to this incredibly interesting question is I do really like to analyse data and dig deep into the evidence. And the evidence is that there's been a lot of latent desire to work flexibly and work differently and to manage and lead in a way that, you know, challenges the fact that pre-pandemic, let's be completely clear, stress was endemic, yeah. uh, productivity was stuck, um, all sorts of chronic, if you like, health problems in the work and the workplace were there. And so I see this moment as a real reset opportunity. But there is absolutely no doubt from the data that there was a problem and that to that degree, the shift to hybrid, even though it's messy and hard and has not settled, is, I believe, far, far, far healthier than what we had before. Yeah, that's, that's and that point you make is that it's not settled. It's, it's, we really seem to be in a period of experimentation and finding our way and yeah. And you know, in your book, you give lots of examples of people who've, who've, who've you know come to different solutions. And uh, uh, so, what sort of solutions are you have you experienced from your research? That I'm going to give you a practical solution. That in the break, I used the family WhatsApp to say, "I'm recording a podcast," and I put, "Don't ring the bell on the door," and I've unplugged the phone. And still, two of our children have managed to walk in and slam the door while I've been oh, recording. I haven't heard them at all. So there's the lesson for you. It doesn't matter what you do. Um, certain people will never um, obey orders. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, sorry, what was your question about? What has the data showed about hybrid? Or yeah, so, so, yeah, about the, the, some, just um, give us you know a few, one or two examples maybe of solutions that people have come to because there's different ways to to go about this, and people yeah. have come upon different well, routes. Again, let's just have a tiny bit of framing if it's okay. Too, yeah, so, yeah. so what I think happened is that at the beginning of the pandemic and really running up until the end of 21, people said this is an aberration, an interruption. We're all going to go back to the office. And in fact, that word aberration was used very infamously by David Solomon, the head of Goldman Sachs, who said in about June 19, uh, 2021, working from home is an aberration. And, you know, he's a master of the universe. Goldman Sachs is masters mm. of the universe, not trying to <laughs> excessively knock Goldman Sachs. But that was a very silly and unwise thing to say. Yes. And it has come back to haunt him because it was a misjudgment. And in business, as I'm sure all your listeners, I really hope they're nodding. There is nothing worse for business than not catching a mood and noticing a shift. The whole point is you can have your market, you can be embedded, you can be growing, and then something happens at the margins and whoomph, you've got to rethink, and reframe. And I feel probably back to what we talked about before, because I'm a little lowly outsider, I'm not running Goldman Sachs, that I was able to sort of feel those tremors and see that something very seismic is happening. So what then happened, I think, is a bit of panic set in amongst leaders because they could tell that there was a reluctance from workers to go back. I, I, I'm sure you'll remember 
you know, memos flying around from Apple workers. There was a genuine sense of unrest that was really quite unfamiliar, especially in the tech industry. And there was pushback. And so then what happened is the world of business, big business, I believe, actually overreacted and went what I would call from fully remote with lockdown to fully hybrid. And all the corporates sort of went, oh, yes, we're fully hybrid. People can work wherever they want. And of Mm. course, that caused a bit of chaos. Yeah. Because not every industry, not every company, not every team can or should have the same broad brush applied to them because white collar workers are not shift workers doing um, a highly regulated job. In fact, shift workers now also want hybrid working, but that's a separate conversation. So the second phase, I think you could say, is you went from fully remote to fully hybrid. And now we're in a third phase. I call, um, you know, I mean, as a shorthand, fully customized, but really it's not WFH, work from home. It's um, WBW, it's workplace by workplace. Yes. What I mean by that is somebody in Idaho, somebody in Mumbai running a, a, a bit of a multinational or running a small enterprise or running a large enterprise has got to take stock of their workforce and the new working identities of their workforce, which maybe we can come on to, we talked about before the show, and say, okay, I need to do all the normal things a leader needs to do. I need to get buy-in. I need to make sure it's not going to adversely affect long-term growth, et cetera. But what do we need here and now, rather than what's everybody telling us we need? Yes. There there was a... A point in your book which stuck with me, which I uh, which I really really loved, and I've thought about a lot. And that was that was Birdsong. Uh, Thank which, you. And, and I, I love I love that that concept. And um, I'd like you to just talk a little bit about about it. Because I can, think I tell, can I tell yeah. you about that phrase, Birdsong? Yeah. In the book is a little bit like the equivalent of music sampling. What I mean by that is that I interviewed for the book quite a lot of business leaders, as well as entrepreneurs, as well as, um, you know, figures of, 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 of merit in the world, if you like. Um, I tried to map the Studs Turkle book, Working, um, which is a legendary, beautiful book uh, that, that captured the voice of, of, of mainly blue-collar workers, and I wanted to begin to apply that to white-collar workers. So I cut about the place metaphorically on Zoom and interviewed people and asked them what they thought this moment was about. And the bird song came out of a conversation with Kevin Ellis, the chairman of PwC. And he said at the time, this is not my phrase. Somebody else has already used this phrase. And it is one of the phrases that's really captured the imagination. And he used it to say, one of the difficulties of hybrid is that people want flexibility. And by the way, Chris, actually flexibility is a much better word than hybrid because that's what underpins what's going on. He said that, okay, flexibility is now rearing its head with lots of good reasons. It's here. But 
the thing that you don't get when you work in an atomized remote way is, quote, the bird song, the chatter, the little kind of, you know, funny fluttery noises of an office. And funnily enough, I was doing an interview a couple of days ago for my own podcast, The Nowhere Office, um, with a couple of business leaders. And my co-presenter and I were in our homes where we do most of the recording from, and they were in their offices. Not that they're in their offices all the time. And the microphone picked up the bird song. It picked up the little murmury chatter. And I think the reason why you raised that is because, of course, one of the difficulties about hybrid is how do you keep the culture knitted together? Yeah, how do you keep, uh, and how do you keep learning? And maybe after the break, we'll talk about the group I call in the book, the learners or the leavers or the leaders, and that, in fact, I've modernized to say now the learners, the leavers or the in-betweeners. Because actually, I think if you start to think about life stages of worker, more than necessarily, you know, your pronouns and how you want your out of office to be, it's more to do with how am I in my life in this organization going forward and what do I therefore need? And the life stages are really, I think, game-changing if you look at those. So I'm... Um, I'm an, I'm an in-betweener. I'm a middle-aged woman who makes her own luck and makes a living from different sources of income rather than a single fixed employer. I've got caring responsibilities. I've got independence. And I love going into the Bloomberg office um, some of the time. Incidentally, the Bloomberg lifts only go to the in the beginning of the day, the Bloomberg lifts only go to the sixth floor where the cafeteria is, the pantry is, because they're designed for everybody to get a bit of birdsong. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I like that. Anyway, That's maybe good. after the break, we can talk about learners yeah. and leavers and in between us a bit more. Ab absolutely. And I've just been, um, I've just been with a client today. It's an insurance uh, company and I've been helping them. I've been working together on culture and leadership development for two, two or three years now. And what was just wonderful to go in today was their their offices, which were quite Dickensian, really. They were dark, were dingy, looking a bit old, a bit tired. And this process um, and the decision was made that actually, with the nature of what we do, we really do need people in the office. But the office today was transformed. It's looking beautiful. There's, there's lovely pictures have gone up. There's settees and people are talking there and chatting. There was some people playing on an Xbox. There was some... Um, um new desks and but the whole place and you see the brightness and the energy just has just shifted it's shifted up a a notch and uh yeah it was it was it was just lovely to see that and feel that today um and that's a consequence of uh of, of this situation is actually how do we make our space attractive and how do we enable birdsong to happen and um so uh great so some it's very insp inspiring that bloomberg example too. So we're going to go to commercial break now, and after the break, I do want to talk about um, about about uh, leavers and and uh, um, leaders. Sorry, leaders and in betweeners. Um, I think it's um, it's a really really helpful distinction. So do join us again after the break. We'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes.
From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called The Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Julie Hobsbawm, and we're talking about the Nowhere Office. And um, before the break, we talked about um, uh, we talked about some of the scenarios um, that are occurring out there. We talked about birdsong, uh, and we were talking about learners, um, about leaders, and in betweeners. And uh, Julie, I wonder if you could just share a little bit more the, around this distinction that you identify, because people have different needs, don't they? It's, it's not Thank on one. You. It's interesting, actually, while we were on the break, Bloomberg went live with my latest column, which is called Learners, Leavers and Inbetweeners. And it's really an update on the chapter in the book in which I talk about working identity. And I basically say that the whole identity of work is having a shift and that the identity of workers themselves is moving from being very much about who you feel you are as an individual and how you want to be addressed and so on to your life stage. Because in a hybrid world, I think that's going to be much more materially important. If your listeners are um, employing people and organising offices and spaces, they need to really identify, I think, the generational aspects of their workforce. Um, In other words, are you a learner? Do you employ people who are just beginning their careers? Because if you do, it isn't just where does onboarding happen and all of that. It's about the fact that a learner doesn't know as much as somebody older and wiser. They just don't because they're beginning. That's where they really need birdsong. That's where they need 
to come in, frankly, to the office more than somebody who's got experience and who dips in and out. Now, these are not absolutely hard and fast rules. These are generalizations. But I think that the learner, if this isn't a I'm going to say this, but you, you, some of your listeners may say, oh, that's a bit of an odd way to look at it. But if you think about a baby, a baby has to grow and incubate inside a very special place before it can be born. It's mum. And then it's born and then it gets to be a toddler and then it gets to be a child and a teenager and it grows up and it leaves. So the learner is not yet sort of ready and cooked in the world of work because they've only just begun. So they need quite a lot of holding and cocooning in the workplace. Now, the problem is that every demographic wants freedom. So there is literally no cohort. I mean, three out of four workers, the data shows around the world, three out of four workers wants to work flexibly. So Learners might prefer to have the warmth of an office if they've got not such great appointed departments or they're rooming with people or they've got a cost of living crunch or the nice showers, nice coffee, nice food, but they still want freedom. But it's what does the workplace want of the worker that interests me? Because I've run businesses for years. I'm very interested in the idea that somehow leaders can't really lead anymore and say, folks, it's about the work. How do we get the work done? Mm. Do you see what I mean? It might be better rather than to sort of say, how do you want to be addressed at work with what do we do as a workplace that helps you do the work really well? Yes. And is your life stage meaning that we need to ask you to come in, I mean, taking the nine months of incubation in a mummy's belly as an example, you know, maybe in this company, when you start working for us, you need a nine-week immersion period. You need to work a nine-day month. I'm totally making this up, but you get my point that there's nothing wrong with leaders being decisive and saying, this is our logic, this is our reasoning, and we're going to try it maybe even only for nine months and yes. see if it works. In fact, yes. I I did a, a panel interview at the Global Drucker Forum in Vienna a couple of months ago with Frauke Palka, who is um, HR Business Leader of the Year in Europe, actually, a terrifically interesting woman who works for a German manufacturing business. And she said, look, you know, you've got to bring people with you and you've got to try and you've got to embrace the trial. And she said, we don't do anything that's tried for longer than a year without reviewing it. And I thought that's so refreshing. So I'm mixing up my answer deliberately with saying, if you look at the different generational perspectives of workers, it brings you into the work and the leadership and the strategy around how are we getting the work done. The lever is somebody, as we're seeing in Britain, over half a million, in fact, I think it's 630,000 people over 50 have left the job market because they weren't quiet quitters. They were noisy quitters. They did not want the dysfunctional aspects of work. Yeah. 
too many patterns were laid down of working flexibly and less during the pandemic. And so the government in Britain, as you know, is trying to think sort of almost unthinkable things like do they need to be given tax breaks um, in order to induce them back into the workplace. The lever is more connected than ever before that they've got a life and work and they want work life to not be at odds with itself. Yeah. I think if I can generalize, the learner wants to work and wants to learn and wants to get on in their career. And the office is going to play a pretty good part in that. The lever is much more convince me, remind me why I need to come in, remind me why I need to do the commute. You know what? I'd rather take less and do less. The in-betweener is more what I call in the book and what I've identified for quite a long time as the solopreneur, Mm. the person making their own luck, the freelancer. The data shows there's going to be significantly large amounts of freelancers, partly as an overhang of the gig economy. You could say that the gig economy was to the blue collar worker, i.e. the unskilled Uber driver, if you like. Not that every Uber driver is unskilled, but you know what I mean. The gig economy was to the blue-collar worker what hybrid is to the white-collar worker. And what that means is you're going to see a global economy where being freelance and being an in-betweener is much, much, much more prevalent. Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot to uh, lot to think about. Of course, that, uh, you know, the point you make about, about really about productivity is that we still the work still has to get done doesn't it and it is it is about as, as a, an employer maybe providing that some flexibility and potentially for the right people at the different life stages but I, I, I love that that thing with the with young people being as a leader helping them understand that there's a great benefit to being in the office being with others uh, being in the bird song being able to observe being able to learn and be noticed because you can get lost when you're at home too But how are you in the office? You see, my concern, and I'm noting the great refitting that's happening uh, of offices, right? That's absolutely fine. But it only goes so far. Mm. People still do not want to do work that doesn't have purpose. They don't want pointless presenteeism. They don't want bad management. None of this can be papered over or covered over. Now, when refitting is accompanied by a strategic rethink, great. But when it isn't, you know, you know how restaurants sometimes do this. They just sort of paint everything and rename the menu, but they haven't really figured out what their customers like to eat or can afford. And they haven't really figured out, you know, service or they don't really pay their waiters and waitresses enough. And so the fundamental experience doesn't change. You know, it's an alchemy, isn't it, being in business or running an organization, whether that's non-profit or for profit. And that interests me. That's what moves me actually is how can we use this moment? Because I don't believe that we shouldn't be working. I mean, yes, we can be a bit less, but I'm not that into the arguments about have a universal basic income or let's all work less and work is bad. I don't believe that. I might be wrong, but I don't believe it. But what I do believe, an awful lot of people are unhappy in work and have been unhappy and that work has not worked 
And I think it's time to call it out and to yeah. change it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, this, and this is that great opportunity to do that, isn't it? It's, uh, yes. Yeah. This is that the moment in time. Yes. It's an opportunity. It's a moment when we're listening to ourselves. We're listening to each other and we're listening to ourselves. Yeah. Um, there are the rallying, you know, get back to the office people. But I mean, you know, at the moment, the poster people for those are, you know, Elon Musk. And Elon Musk is not getting a great reputation at managing at the moment. You know, Twitter is undergoing legal action for overriding um, the legal obligations of its workforce. Um, and so the smart money is not on being tinnied. The smart money is on iterating you know, WBW, workplace by workplace, saying, okay, the fully remote era doesn't really work apart from exceptions. Um, the fully hybrid issue is is more sophisticated and nuanced. Workplace by workplace, it's a contract as it always has been between people who work and people who give them the work. And I think it's a much healthier, more transparent moment that we're in i hope you can hear in my voice i'm really evangelistic about good work and talking about this that's why i really welcome this moment and you know when you write books and you've written books yourself chris often you get sort of five minutes of of of, of attention and i have really not had a day um since the book was published in the uk in february in 2022 and in in the uk in the us in April. I've not had a day when I haven't been asked to give an interview or a comment um, on this. And that's because it's affecting all of us all of the time now. And we are just adjusting post-pandemic and finding our sea legs. And so it's a really important moment. It's certainly the most important moment in the history of work in the last years. I have no hesitation saying that. Right. Julia, it's been a, a fascinating conversation and fascinating listening to you. This is so of the moment, uh, so important. And uh, you know, thank you for everything that you're doing to help people through this. Uh, you know, this 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 challenge. Um, you know, whoever you are, whether you're uh, you know you're a worker or you're leading a company, it's uh, it, it's challenging. And therefore, I, think I recommend to people to um, you know to. But the great resource, the Nowhere Office, is available for people to access from all good um, booksellers. You want to find out more about Julia's work, juliahobsbaum.com, and it's H O B S B A W M.com. Uh, or the NowhereOffice.com. Or the NowhereOffice.com. The NowhereOffice.com. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. It's been been wonderful. On next week's show, uh, we have um, Tom Hubler, and Tom is a, an absolute expert when it comes to family businesses and uh and what i loved about my conversation with tom preparation for the interview is he's he's also he's, he's got he's, he's really gets really deep and meaningful with it as well uh, and really understands the nuance of it um so if you if you're interested in uh, or you work with or you are a family business uh, do check out the show next week and uh, once again uh, julia hobsbawm been an absolute pleasure today thanks uh, and any questions or comment you can uh, reach me at chris at chriscooper.co.uk uh, always love to hear from you and um, and you'll be able to access i'm sure um julia's links through uh, juliahobsbaum.com so take care everybody um go away and have a think about this 
Um, it's an important subject. And and I, I, one message I take away from this is that it's really important to make change with strategy right now uh, when you're thinking about um, uh, the Nowhere office. Uh, so take care and I uh, hope this, this generates lots of birdsong. We thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.